Hey, it's Alice. Before you jump into this episode, I want to tell you about this week's partner. One of the biggest mistakes we can make when it comes to marketing is not analyzing the metrics. Podcast downloads, website traffic, social engagement, these numbers can tell us something about what is and isn't working, but we so rarely listen to them. That's why this year I've made a habit of sitting down each month to analyze and learn from my metrics. It's already helping me to tweak my strategy in order to meet my goals. And I've found a really great tool to help with this, Metrical. Metrical makes it easy to analyze, manage, and improve your content across all of your platforms. My favorite is their analytics tool because all of the numbers are right in front of you to look at and most importantly, learn from. They also have a content planner, inbox manager, and hashtag tracker. So Metrical really can be your one-stop shop for all your marketing needs. I only partner with brands who I genuinely believe will bring value to our lives as business owners, and this one is no different. So if you're ready to manage your marketing with intention, head to the link in the show notes and start using metrical for free today now back to the episode because we want to be the biggest cocktail brand in the world from a business perspective we've we've come close to collapsing i'd say four or five times one day i remember we had 11 pounds in the bank we got a letter from europe's largest ipo law firm it was a cease and desist i mean the other perspective or realization that i've had is that all fear is irrational unless you've got a tiger running at you and it looks pissed off because some tigers are friendly right if it looks like a pissed off tiger and you're out in the wild then be scared Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to episode number 185 of Starting the Conversation. I'm your host, Alice Benham, and I'm really excited to share with you a conversation with my good friend, Zav. Alongside co-founders Ranj and Sim, Zav runs Mixtons, who in their own words, sell pre-made cocktails that don't taste shit. I met Zav a couple of years ago and ever since have been pretty obsessed with Mixtons. I think they're an amazing brand. Their cocktails taste incredible. The Porn Star Martini flavor is a favorite of mine. They're actually also one of the companies that I've invested in. So if that doesn't tell you how much I rate them, I don't know what will. One of the things I really rate about Zav is how honest he is about the reality of growing a startup. And so with the heart of this podcast being not just to talk about the highs, but also the lows and the subsequent lessons of running a business, I knew Zav would be the perfect person to sit down with and just have a good old chat. In this episode, we talked a lot about the challenges that Mixtons have faced over the last couple of years from having £11 in the bank account with a £25,000 bill to pay to getting a season to desist letter and having to rebrand pretty much overnight. We talked about seeing money as a tool, not a measure of success, what it was like to come out of lockdown with a business that really boomed in that time, the importance of seeking discomfort and taking risks, what it's like to work with co-founders and as always, and as a lot of these podcast episodes come back to, the importance of self-awareness and feeling the fear but doing it anyway. I leave every conversation with Zav feeling really inspired and really encouraged. And I so hope that you get the same thing from listening in on this conversation today. So here it is. This is my conversation with Zav. Welcome to the podcast, Zav. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. How are you? (laughs) I'm all right, thanks. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I always feel very strange recording with friends because it's like we chat all the time and now I'm just sat here with cameras on you recording you. It's just like one of our DMCs, but with some microphones in front of us. Yes. And without a Domino's. Without a Domino's, yeah. Usually a Domino's. Let's begin at the start. I think that's the best place to begin. So Mixtons, where does the story start? 
yeah, we originally launched uh, our cocktail company under the brand name Noctails, and it was very mm. much the principle of uh, it was an e-commerce company launched during lockdown, mm. and uh, it was a play on words, obviously knocking on people's doors with the delivery of cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very much the, the principle behind it, and we launched that in November 2020. Mm, what a time to start a business. I know, I know. Not even just before at the start of a global pandemic, but as we're like in the yeah. midst of it. Yeah, I think it was just as we were heading into the second lockdown, because we had like a month lockdown just before mm-hmm. Christmas. Uh, and that was two weeks after we launched the company. Interesting. Yeah. And what is that origin story? Because we should give some context here that it's not just you running mixed it. No. Nope. You've got two co-founders. How yeah. did three, like, I feel like two people coming together to start the business is one thing, but three people coming together, how did that happen? How did sure. it come to be in that November? So Range and Sim, uh, two of my closest friends. So I met them both whilst I was at uni. Mm-hmm. Um, Range used to own a mobile bar company. Um, so they used to have a fleet of converted VW vans where the roof would lift up and they would do festivals and private parties around the UK. Um, so obviously when lockdown hit for those guys, so Sim used to be his manager, uh, all of their events got cancelled for the summer and they mm. were kind of sat at home twiddling their thumbs, wondering when life would go back to normal and it obviously kept getting extended and extended. Um, and me at the time, I was working on another startup and that was a travel-focused startup. So of course, as soon as lockdown hit, that got completely obliterated as well. Mm. Um, and one day Ranj called me out of the blue and I think it was in May time, May 2020, he called me uh, and said that he had loads of friends and family asking him how to make cocktails at home. And he had a bit of a brainwave and said, well, what if I send them to people? Because he's really known as the cocktail guy, the cocktail guru in our friendship circles. What a kind of, what's the right word for this? Like, what, what a thing to be known for. I know. I really rate that. I know, he's, he's known <laughs> as like the party bringer. Um, so anytime Range is around is pretty much guaranteed to have a okay. good time. It's going to have cocktails. It's going to have good music. It's going to have, uh, yeah, it's, he's, he's just that guy. So he, he was getting contacted by friends and family, uh, myself included. Uh, he had this kind of light bulb idea and called me in May uh, and I gave him a few tips and pointers and I said, why don't you go do this, put this together. Mm-hmm. Um, and two months later, he came to me with the first prototype. Uh, I was actually the first person to ever buy a box of Noctails uh, on the Shopify store because originally I wasn't part of the company. I was just a friend supporting him, giving him ideas, uh, but he had a lot of the company already put together by that point. And at the time, I should say, you were doing your own thing. I was trying to pivot my business uh, away from travel towards sustainability, but we were really struggling because uh, we had a team of eight at the time uh, and they all got hit really hard personally. So we were just trying to string together things that was impossible, basically. So... um, I was also in a place of kind of feeling a little bit lost and looking potentially for the next thing. When I ordered the first box of Noctails, the first customer ever on Shopify, because he didn't actually tell me they were doing a free giveaway. Uh, so all of my other friends got a free box of Noctails <laughs> and I paid. That's amazing. Which I still hold him to for, to, to this day. Cool to be able to say your first ever customer was you. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like in America, they put like the first dollar they made on the wall. Exactly. It's technically your money. Exactly. <laughs> I rate that. We met a couple of uh, weeks later uh, after I re- received the box and I loved the cocktails and I basically sat them down and tried to convince them to let me join Um, because we all came from such different backgrounds I knew that I could add a lot of value uh, and equally I knew that I couldn't do it without them and they couldn't do it without me it was almost like the perfect trifecta Mm. so they agreed they managed to I managed to convince them to to let me in Um, and then we bought 
initially what we thought was about six months worth of stock. And this was October the 16th. I remember the date like really vividly. Uh, and we sold that out in about two and a half weeks. So it just went wow. crazy because as soon as that second lockdown came, um, people were stuck at home looking for ways to uh, gift for Christmas. Mm. Then what started happening is people uh, who were working in offices could no longer do their Christmas parties. So we ended up doing virtual cocktail masterclasses for people where we'd send the individual ingredients to to employees mm. and we would host these online virtual masterclasses on Zoom um, and that really really helped us to, to scale up quickly to begin with and we ended up doing working with about 120 corporate clients from like Sky, Deliveroo, wow. BlackRock, uh, Stella McCartney, all of the big companies in the UK um, and ended up sending about 7,000 parcels in the first three months um, so it was busy. That's unreal. Yeah. So you Proper went from zero to hero of not even being in this company yeah. to it then being incredibly full on. And I find that really interesting because I remember when we went into lockdown, obviously the immediate thing for all business owners was panic. Like, mm -hmm. what's this going to mean for my business? And of course, so many industries were really negatively impacted. Yeah. But there was this kind of undercurrent of everyone being quite curious, I think, to see, well, what impact is this going to make in a positive way? Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting how many, especially kind of e-commerce businesses, actually were really propelled as a result of lockdown. Massively. And I guess it was the same for you guys. Massively. I mean, I think the, the entirety of the ecosystem within e-commerce got boosted because mm. suddenly people were stuck at home. People were looking for, I, th I think the attitudes, particularly since COVID, have shifted in consumer behavior towards more experiential, more premiumization, more kind of things that really add value to people's lives mm. as opposed to, I think it's because COVID really gave people perspective of what's important to take a moment to slow down to enjoy your life to treat yourself every now and then uh, and that led to a lot of smaller e-commerce companies really benefiting because that's what their value proposition is typically they're trying to do something different they're trying to do something sustainable uh, and really value driven and that is where i think we're still seeing the kind of residual of, of effect of that now because consumer habits have changed inevitably um, so we were just part of that group of people that did benefit from from everything that happened mm, and what's so interesting is that that's like a contained kind of ecosystem or version of the economy like we'll never experience that combination no. of people's feelings and budgets and spending habits and desires and problems again mm -hmm. but it's so fascinating I think especially in like years to come to really look at what effect that's had yeah on so many businesses yeah so obviously in that time like you said things were crazy full-on I mean Phil I would say me I know a bit of it but the listeners in a little bit like what does that look like behind the scenes like that many orders going out I can imagine you don't yet have the kind of operations and processes in place or the budget yet in order to make that really kind of streamlined. No. So when we originally launched Noctails, we were selling cocktails in little plastic pouches and we were hand filling them. So we had a litre jug, plastic jug, where we would make the cocktail. We would then pour that litre jug into the plastic pouches and you could make five cocktails out of one jug. And we were doing about seven to 800 cocktails a day that way. That's um, a lot of jugs. And then you'd have to hand label each plastic pouch twice front and back and then we would have to make the boxes fill the boxes because we used to add garnishes and home hacks cards and the garnishes we used to use it's changed a lot since then but we used to use like fresh mint so we'd individually take mint leaves put them in little plastic pouches put them in the box and that was just one garnish we had about four or five at one point <laughs> so it was really 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 time consuming um, but we knew that over time it would get better and we just had to get through 
the tough bit in order to see what, how can we improve, what are the areas that need most improvement. Mm. And really, we wouldn't have been able to get to the point where we are now without having been in those trenches at the time. So we were operating in Sims Kitchen for the best part of about four months. And then we, because we were in lockdown three uh, in early 2021, we managed to strike a deal with a bar where they were closed. And we said, look, we'll pay you a couple of hundred pounds a month if we can use your space. So we would operate out of there. Every single day we would kind of open up our operations, uh, make all of our cocktails. We would then drive from the bar in Guildford to the local APC drop-off point at 3.30. Uh, and that was a constant stress every single day. I was going to say, were you racing to hit that Racing point? every day. And there were so many days where we were late and we'd have to take, uh, we'd have to load them into the APC trucks for them because uh, the people weren't there to do it. Mm. It was carnage, just pure carnage. And then there was the impact of not only COVID, but also Brexit on um, import. So when we were running out of stock, we had no idea that we had to buy stock ahead of time. So we would run out and then realize that we'd run out. And then, um, yeah, it was carnage. (laughs) What kept you going in those early days? Because I can imagine it's exciting and it's new, but that wears off after a few weeks of craziness, doesn't it? So you said it was kind of knowing that at some point it would get better, but... Yeah, when you were in those trenches, what kept the three of you showing up to Sims House every day? Well, I think there's a certain beauty in the early days where no matter how tough it is, you reach the end of the day and you see the pile of boxes that you've made. Mm. Quite often it would be between kind of 70 and 100 boxes. And there's a sense of fulfillment there that kind of eliminates all of the stress because you know that there's going to be 70 to 100 people every single day receiving our cocktails, Mm. receiving something that we've created by hand, every single part of it that made it easy. Um, There there was, it definitely reached a point towards like three or four months in where we knew that we had to radically change things in order to just cope with the amount of orders we were getting. So the next kind of process for us that allowed us to remain engaged was figuring out how to improve it because if you're that way inclined, that's a really fun process. Mm. Um, so we took great joy in figuring out, okay, we can't keep filling by hand. How do we scale that process up? Um, we can't individually bag mint leaves. How do we scale that process up? So I think that challenge enabled us to remain engaged to the same extent um, because it, it provided us enough kind of hunger Mm. Um, to really keep going through the tough points. Yeah, and it's those early days where it's like, and I think business often always feels this way, but it's especially scrappy Mm -hmm. and it's just, you've got to get your head down and do the work. There is something quite addictive about that, isn't there? Like, it's all. this is going to sound really weird, but almost enjoying how hard it is. Like the feeling of being tired, but still showing up to work. Like there's something about that that I find quite satisfying. Definitely. And I think it's it's something that I've noticed uh, between us boys, but also between other co-founders that I speak to. Mm. There's a certain inclination within entrepreneurs in general that thrive in those moments. Because if you, if you were to collapse and fall over and say, this is too tough, I can't do this, uh, or this challenge is insurmountable, then you wouldn't make it past month one, realistically. Uh, And what I found is actually the opposite. When we're in moments of calm and peace and things are going well, we're almost more anxious because we're either waiting for the next thing to come or 
it's the, not that it's boring, but it's just not as challenging. It's not as mm-hmm. um, There's a sense of ease, isn't there? Yeah. I remember that for me was where on paper my new business came from. It was just because I felt it was too easy. Right. And it, it made me laugh every time I came to that conclusion. So I was like, this is meant to be the dream. Mm-hmm. Like what you're meant to do is get through the scrappy phase, you know, be paying yourself a salary. It's consistent. It's got ease to it. Don't get me wrong. You still have to put work in, but it got to that point. And I was like, most people run a business to get here. I've got here and now I'm bored and I want to get back to that bit that feels scrappy and that feels hard work. And I think that's one great learning that I've had and I know the boys have had too is that it has fuck all to do with the end goal and it's always the process Mm. because we we set ourselves goals last year that we hit and overachieved on massively and it's always underwhelming when you get there. Yeah. And then it it makes you appreciate the process of, right, how did we actually get to that point? How did we Mm. sell 10,000 boxes? How do we raise investment? How do we do all these things that we thought were the end goal? It's because of the process and how, like the journey that we took in order to get there. Um, And that's why I'm I'm a pretty firm believer in my personal life too, of setting goals that you can't actually ever fulfill. Interesting. Mm. What's one of your goals that you can't ever fulfill? To be happy. Or to be content, to, to be even keeled. So I wouldn't even say to be happy as a goal, but to be as even keeled as I can be as a human. That is a, a personal goal of mine. And it's, it's never achievable because we're human. Mm. So we're going to go through ebbs and flows of, of life. But if I have the, the constant goal of being as evenly balanced and well-rounded as I can be, mm. then I'm pointing towards something which I think all humans need. Um, you need to set the course of the ship in some direction. But equally, you need to know that it's not about uh, trying to get there because you're constantly going to be sailing. Until the day you die, your, your mm. boat is sailing, right? Mm. Um, so whatever you achieve, they're just kind of milestones. There might be places you stop off and see yes. whilst you're on your ship. Yeah. Uh, but the, the bigger direction has to be unachievable in a way. Mm. I think we've all been there when you set those goalposts mm-hmm. and you reach it and it feels incredibly unfulfilling yeah. and you almost have to like force yourself to be like yeah let's celebrate this this is really good mm-hmm. but yeah I wonder if that's a learning curve all business owners go through at some point I know I have where you realize actually it's so much more about like you said the journey and I guess more about not what the goals are but what they represent yeah you know what what, what are your values what's your purpose what's your mission actually the tangible stuff you know how many orders you sell or how much money you've made that's all just kind of ways to measure or indicate that those things are being achieved it's all, it's, but it's not about that is it no it's all bullshit it's it's all none of those things will ever give you fulfillment mm. uh, and the thing i realized really early on and why i'm so grateful to to be in the position that i am is that i get to go to work every day and work with two of my closest friends uh we have a number of employees now that we love and a part of the family and it's there's no hierarchy between kind of us and them we're one big mm-hmm. group of people that are trying to get to a place uh, and that place is unachievable because we want to be the biggest cocktail brand uh, in the world that's our kind of end goal if you like by having the end goal if we're able to get to any rung on that ladder then we'll be happy but as long as the journey to get there was enjoyable because I would, I would much rather have a smaller company that's fun to work with than a big company that's miserable to work with. And if we have employees that are miserable, I don't, like, I don't want to be that boss. I don't want to be that person. Mm. I want to create a, a work culture, a work environment that I would want to work for. Uh, and therefore, if that means scaling down the company a tiny bit, then I'd much rather that. 
Mm, I find that so validating and comforting to hear Mm. because I, yeah, I think I'm of that same mindset of actually I care about how it feels way more than how it looks and, you know, the numbers. But we live in a world and especially the business space is so focused on constant, you know, quantitative growth Mm -hmm. and actually realizing, yeah, ultimately it comes down to if it if you're having fun yeah. if you're enjoying it or whatever else those measures are for you all of the other stuff it's not irrelevant but it's not the most important no. thing uh, is they're, they're important things to enable you to get there mm. but instead of viewing building a company as a set of actions that help you or enable you to get money mm-hmm. view it as you're building a company that makes money to enable you to have fun yes and that's kind of the perspective shift that I've had in the last year is we get so much pleasure out of uh, the good moments with each other and with our employees and with the people that we work with every single day mm. that if we're able to grow and have more people part of that process, great. But inevitably, if we were to sell the company in five years time and all make a shit ton of money, but have none of that kind of personal fulfillment and what's it for mm. uh, and that's really where I've I've, I've changed I've almost done a full 360 since when I first started out in entrepreneurship because I think most people when they start out have some sense of focus on the financial aspect of it uh, and it's only through learning and, and going through it have I realized that it actually has nothing to do with that mm. it's a nice it's a cherry on top don't get me wrong yeah uh, we live in a capitalistic society it's a it's a necessity to have profit in a company but I don't think it's the the reason for being if you like yeah I couldn't agree more and money is a tool at the end of the day yeah like it's not about hoarding as much as you can it's no. getting it so then you can use it for the things that are important to you totally. I shared recently that my revenue was down last year from the year before yeah and when I was presented with that information, genuinely, the person that presented it to me said it like they were telling me that someone had died. Right. Like it was like the worst news. And it was like, you know, they were trying to soften the blow and talk to him about how we could improve it. And I just ended up saying, like, I really don't care. Mm. Like all of the other things are up. Profit, fulfillment, impact, how value driven the business is. And I'm like, that's just one of the numbers. Yeah. But it's so easy, isn't it? You know, even six years in to still try and go for the shiny and then you kind of have to talk yourself out of it don't you and go no actually that's not what's really important here so my best friend when we first met six seven years ago uh he said a saying to me that i've never forgotten since and it's that money is energy Mm. so instead of viewing money as the goal view it as the enabler the thing that allows you to do the things that you want to do in life um so whatever fulfills you, whether that's traveling, whether that's having a security for your family, whether that's giving back to your community, whatever it is, view money as the thing that helps get you there yeah. and not the uh, yeah the, the end thing that you're constantly chasing. Because ultimately anyone that ever chases money is never going to be happy mm. because you're never going to have enough money to fulfill your desires and your kind of greed. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. Mm, I think that's very true. And you were talking previously about how for you it's not about the money, it's about enjoying the process and it feeling fulfilling and fun. Are there times over the Mixton's journey where it hasn't felt that way and that's prompted for you to change something? Totally. So, I mean, personally, we didn't pay ourselves for the first uh, year, almost. I think it was 11 months until we paid ourselves. Mm. So 
that was personally challenging, but it certainly wasn't to a point where it made me question what we were doing. Um, I knew that we would reach a point where we could start paying ourselves. And ultimately, like what we're paying ourselves now is nowhere near what people that I know in different positions are being paid, but it's enough to live uh, a life. It's enough to buy food and, and that's all we need right now. So personally, it's it's never been uh, a motivator for me, but from a business perspective, we've, we've come close to collapsing, I'd say four or five times where we've had, one day I remember we had 11 pounds in the bank and we had a debt uh, or we owed uh, on a credit card about 25 grand. We had three days to, to make 25 grand. And that was, and that happened in various circumstances a few times along the journey where we just weren't, we didn't know enough about the financial health of the company. We didn't know how to uh, stock manage. We didn't know how to foresee things that we, like our first VAT bill, for example, was a huge surprise to us. Um, so there's, there's just lots of things that we've had to learn the hard way. But again, I think being in those trenches is ultimately the, the most rewarding thing because you then understand so much more through having those difficulties. Mm. How did you get from that place, 11 pounds in the bank, to obviously still running the business now? Yeah. No. What got you out of it? Timing really fortunate timing so we had so as we came out of lockdown we started to diversify the business because we knew even before um, lockdown started easing that our e-commerce business would decline naturally Mm -hmm. because people would start going out again and we knew that we had uh, a value proposition that would fit not only the at-home model but also the trade model so selling into venues Mm -hmm. so pubs bars hotels restaurants and also uh, the event space So for us, we started running events last year and it just so happened that the biggest event that we had last year was in that three day window where we were 25 grand down and we just about managed to pay it off, I think. And we had 220 pounds left after paying it off. So again, we were caught in that cycle of constantly chasing ourselves from a cash flow perspective, which is probably the most challenging thing you have to go through as a business owner especially as a business like yourself that has such clear overheads and product cost. Exactly. Um, But once you can get past that point, if you can achieve product market fit, uh, there are quite a few kind of options and ways around it. And I think the the biggest thing for us and the biggest bolster for us was the fact that we did diversify because there are a lot Mm -hmm. of other companies in our space that popped up, uh, particularly bars who started doing at-home services whilst they were closed. A lot of those shut down because they tried to continue down the e-commerce route, whereas we managed to foresee it uh, early enough and we managed to kind of pivot the business away from it. And I think that's something a lot of businesses have felt since lockdown. I think even in you know the space that I'm in, like service-based businesses, people's buying behavior and people's interaction with businesses was so different mm. in lockdown to normal life. Like it, it wasn't a false economy, but it was definitely a different economy. And yeah, I think for a lot of the businesses that didn't foresee that shift, it's been a really difficult transition because you almost don't realize it until it's not necessarily too late, but a problem, right? People are suddenly realizing we're not making the money that we could or should be making. Or, you know, we scaled up in lockdown and actually now our sales aren't bringing in the revenue that we need to facilitate, you know, how we scaled things. And I think that's a really valuable lesson, whether you, you made that mistake or not, 
to always be trying to think, right, what's the next shift yeah. and how can we prepare for that? And I'd imagine it wasn't seamless. You still felt the impact of coming out of lockdown, but you'd you'd at least prepared somewhat. The timing for us was funny because we decided to rebrand at the same time that we started coming out of lockdown. So for us, our e-commerce business started to naturally decline. And the I think it was June, which was the month that everything opened up back to quote unquote normal. Mm. The 5th of June, we rebranded and we uh, kind of announced our rebrand. So for three months prior to that, we'd been working on it. That timing was really tricky because we were balancing a decline in revenue with an increase in uh, outgoings because we paid for the rebrand. We had to buy a load of new stock. Um, and that was definitely, in retrospect, timing wise, a, a mistake, I'd say. So, um, again, we learned the hard way, mm. but it inevitably was the right decision for, for where we are today. And is that the rebrand that was linked to you having to change the name? Yes. Because you've not given that story yet. No. So that that's the story in itself. So that arguably was one of the scariest moments that we've had bar the cash flow uh, situation. We'd engaged with a, an agency to undertake the rebrand and we'd paid them a fee. Uh, the process was going to take about 12 weeks and we were six weeks in and originally we were going to keep the name Noctails because we mm. liked it. We thought it, it kind of fit uh, what we were trying to do at the time and we hadn't really thought too much about the future. About six week, weeks into the process, we got a letter or Ranj got a letter um, from Europe's largest IPO law firm. It was a cease and desist. They had an American client who had registered the trademark for Noctails four years and nine months ago. And under trademark law, if someone hasn't used a trademark in five years, it's null and void. So we were three months short. And at the time of doing research, Ranch thought it's not going to be a problem because there's no way they're going to use it in three months. Yeah, I so, had that with on paper. There were so many people with a trademark linked to it, but they'd never used it. So yeah. you kind of just have to risk it a bit, don't you? You can't be 100% sure. Exactly. So he, he did decide to risk it when launching the business and it came back to bite us. So the letter said, you've got two weeks to shut your business down or we're going to file a huge law case against you. Massively scary for us because we had no idea about anything to do with law and trademarks and mm. that whole world. Fortunately, we had put in an application to trademark it in the first place. So we'd kind of almost covered our backs, but they challenged it. So we were left in a situation where we were also halfway through this rebrand process where we'd paid half the fee to the agency, yeah. working on the principle that we were going to be using one name. And as you know, the name has a huge impact on kind of how you position the brand and how you make it work aesthetically. So it was almost like a double hit for us. Um, so we spent the best part of two weeks. I remember every single day we were having meetings at 6.30 in the morning, our first one. That would go on until about 9am where we were just talking about names. What we started thinking, can we think of like an old scientist and use his name? Could we think of like, what's the first cocktail ever invented? Can we have a play on words with that? Didn't find anything for two solid weeks. And the agency started coming to us saying, look, we need a name. We can't delay this process anymore. We've got loads more work to do. So we're getting really, really stressed at this point. And at one point, I remember we had a list of maybe 10 alternative names that we were potentially going to go with. And we found reasons not to for all of them. Uh, and it was a really kind of demoralizing process. And then one evening I was speaking to a friend's mum who happened to 
study a master's in IPO law. And she said, look, they're just trying to scare you. Um, if you write back to them and reasonably and ask them for an extension, I'm sure they would give it to you. And this was two days before the end of the deadline. So I went back to the letter to read through it one final time, just to make sure I understood it all. And I got to the bottom of it. And the name of the managing partner who'd written to us was Mr. Dixton. And I remember something clicked in my head and I called Ranjan Sim immediately and I said, boys, I mean, this law firm has really screwed us over here. Um, mm. And there's something about this guy's name, Dixton, that I, I think kind of fits the cocktail vibe, right? It's, it sounds a little bit pretentious, but maybe too pretentious. Ranj and Sim started kind of throwing ideas back and forth and then Mixton came up and then Mixton's came up. Uh, and that's kind of where the origin came from was almost a fuck you to the law firm. I write that. But at the same time, it kind of makes sense because it's mixing, mixed hands. Like there's there's quite a few yeah. subtle uh, ways that it works and it's unique. I remember from a branding perspective, I, I'd heard the founder of Expedia talking about building brand names. And he said, as long as your brand name contains a high scoring letter from Scrabble, then it will be more memorable. Obviously he was Expedia, so. I write that, Amazon. Amazon, yeah. yeah. So for me, it, it kind of ticked all the boxes. The boys loved it too. Uh, and then we went to the branding agency and uh, we proceeded with Mixtons and that's where we, uh, where it came from. I love those stories where in the trenches of it, it feels like the worst thing is happening to you. And then when you look at it with hindsight, you realize actually this is happening for you. Yeah. Like this is actually a blessing in disguise, but you can't always see it yeah. in the moment. Every time, every challenge that we faced is a blessing. And it's got to a point now where we, we talk about it, we call it the thumb. If, if you were to imagine a challenge being a giant thumb that's pushing down on the, the entire business, we always joke and say, when's the next thumb coming? <laughs> and it's reached a point now where we enjoy it mm. because we know, it, we know it's coming. Three, two months ago, we had a giant thumb. Uh, and instead of panicking, I remember Ranj was reading an email, instead of panicking, we were like, okay, let's get stuck in. Like it, mm. it almost became an enjoyable process. Yeah. Um, so having that mindset that no challenge is too big, nothing is going, unless you break the law, obviously. Yeah. That's a different <laughs> kettle of fish, but as long as you're above board, no challenge is too big. And there's always a possible solution. Always a somewhere. solution. And it becomes fun, doesn't it? Totally. Like I've, it's that mindset, isn't it, of seeing it not like, gosh, this thing's in my way, but more, oh, how can we work out how to get around this? Yeah. And the idea of, I don't know right now how this is going to be a blessing in disguise, but mm -hmm. I'm excited to find out how. Yeah. I remember feeling that way about lockdown. Obviously a privileged thing to be able to think. It didn't majorly affect my business in a negative way, but really thinking like, I'm so curious and quite excited. You know, this is hard, but... I know that out of the tough stuff comes the good stuff. Always. And it's an interest to see what's going to... Have you ever heard the phrase seek discomfort? Yes. I think there's a group of YouTubers called Yes Theory mm. that uh, have branded it, if you like. But I'm a huge believer in seeking discomfort, seeking things that are challenging in order to grow. Mm. What you'll see, and we'll all know people that are stagnant, who never left the village that they grew up in from school or uh, never did anything um, with themselves. And they're perfectly content, but they're equally perfectly comfortable. On the flip side of that, if you've got big ambitions and you want to go somewhere and you really want to uh, achieve a lot, you have to seek discomfort because... Mm. 
if you're a lot of people have fears naturally some people are scared of public speaking some people are scared of um, meeting investors some people are scared of social situations but the more you do it and this is it's such a, a cliche thing but the more you do things the less uncomfortable they become yeah three years ago I would have never sat and agreed to speak on a podcast with you no way Three years ago, I would never have posted about my mental health on LinkedIn. But all of those things have become so rewarding to me. Um, and I've got so much from them, just from a personal satisfaction perspective, that I then realized that, okay, if I apply that to all of the areas in my life, then inevitably it's going to it's going to enrich me mm. so it's really an attitude that I try and keep with everything yeah and resilience is a muscle isn't it like mm. the more that you practice it the easier it gets to do it yeah. and it's trying not to see it in extremes is it like okay if I've got a fear of public speaking step one probably isn't to do a TED talk no. but maybe step one is like oh I'll record a voiceover for something and that grows my confidence one step and it's it's proving to your brain isn't it that the fears aren't a reason to stop yeah. actually if anything they're a green flag to keep going in that 100%. direction and if you feel that discomfort, as long as it's partnered with a little bit of excitement and a little bit of maybe there's something here that feels purposeful to me, for me at least, that's a, a green flag to go for it. I remember when Definitely. I came up with the idea for On Paper, I was so like, God, this is going to be uncomfortable, but actually game on, that's so exciting. Yeah. And the good stuff comes from that. And it Definitely. does get easier the more you do it, right? Like you're sat here now, like you said, loving those moments that feel really challenging but it's only through going through challenges and realizing that number one, you can get to the other side of them. And number two, they always hold something good. Totally. But it's easier to have that mindset. And, and also, the, I mean, the other perspective or realization that I've had is that all fear is irrational. Unless you've got a tiger running at you and it looks pissed off, because some tigers are friendly, right? If it looks like a pissed off tiger and you're out in the wild, then be scared, yeah. run away. Most of the fears that we face in day-to-day -day life are irrational mm -hmm. and often come from a place of uh, unresolved something within people. If you can face your fears on the daily, you will slowly start to realize, like you say, you'll slowly start to build that muscle and you'll slowly start to realize that there's not much to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. As long as you're pushing yourself and as long as you have confidence in yourself, which also comes with time comes with kind of baby steps don't expect like you say to stand on stage at the o2 and, and be able to sing like ed sheeran like it's just not going to happen but if you can take baby steps towards the things that do make you uncomfortable then ultimately it's going to benefit you it's going to benefit your business it's going to benefit your friends and family mm. because you're going to be more content mm. uh, and ultimately that is life's goal is to be content yeah god i love that phrase of like fear at the end of the day is most of the time just quite irrational and quite Always. made up and when you really explore it that's why we say to clients like i'm no mindset coach but if someone's feeling the fear i'm like well let's feel it let's talk like what is the worst case scenario mm. here and so often especially when we're running like online businesses the worst that could happen is basically nothing yeah like what someone thinks it's a bit weird or it doesn't go as well as you thought, well, great, that teaches you a lesson about something that gives you a piece of data. I think it's so easy to get consumed by the fear, especially I think when you're working in a environment that you're not surrounded by loads of other people mm -hmm. to rationalize yourself, yeah. but actually, yeah, to explore it and realize, God, that, you know, there's not a tiger running at me, gonna kill me. Yeah. It's gonna be okay. Exactly. I've and, this. and the other thing is don't expect too much of yourself. I realized this um, being a natural slight perfectionist, when I used to take my first set of calls with investors, which would have been on my last business three, four years ago, I was shit scared. I was terrified. But after the first three or four, I realized that 
they're not there to interrogate me. They're, they're not, I'm not on a police interview. Um, mm. They're just trying to find out about my business, about me, about what my vision is. And it's, it's really that simple. But the first few, I was having irrational thoughts about feeling like I was being watched and feeling like I was being judged and every word I said because I was presenting something I cared so much about that um, they hated. But over time, I've, I've really kind of flipped that perspective and said, nobody cares about anything as much as you do. And so if you can, or it's almost like when you're standing on stage and, and trying to visualize people naked, right? If you can get to the point where you realize that people in general are curious, they'd like to find out about what you're doing and what you're working on, but they're not there to judge you. They're not there to criticize you because you don't do that to other people, right? Mm -hmm. If you're listening to someone's crazy business idea, you're not uh, tearing it down and you're just listening, right? So often your biggest challenge is getting out of your own way. Uh, And that's the whole process of seeking discomfort because you are ultimately the only person that's in the way of yourself and where you want to be. And do you find that easier to do having co-founders being in a team of three having those people there that can perhaps tell you when something's being a bit irrational or remind you of hey you're you're the one getting in your own way definitely definitely i mean something that i'm really 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 keen on um and we've implemented uh in the business is to make sure that we have space for open communication and I think in all relationships in your life, whether it's a partner, whether it's family, whether it's friends, business, having that open communication channel means that you can help each other grow mm. because it's non-judgmental. And if you can give each other feedback that is constructive and say, look, Zav, I know that you're like this. I know that you struggle, for example, doing mundane tasks and doing operations, which I do. Like I'm, I'm, I question everything and I really struggle to apply myself when it's something that's super structured. They'll say to me, okay, well, don't spend your time worrying about that or doing that. Like focus all of that good energy in a place where it's beneficial. And we have that constant feedback cycle. Every two weeks we sit down and we have a, a two, three hour conversation about, right, let's look at ourselves and how we're working. Are we using our skills and our kind of natural tendencies to the best or in the best way? Or are we ending up in rabbit holes, which all humans naturally can do if they're focusing their energy in the wrong places? Because everyone's got different skill sets. Mm. You can't force someone who's not good at finance to be good at finance. And part of a good co-foundership is understanding where those strengths and weaknesses are and enabling each other to really focus the right energy in the right place. Mm. Um, So I think that's, yeah, super critical. And I'm very grateful for in Ranjan Sim. Mm, it's so much self-awareness, isn't it? Which I think if, if business does one thing universally, it's make you very self-aware. Massively. Because you are daily confronted by, I'd say more so your weaknesses than your strengths in business. You're just always figuring more out about yourself. And that's something I've always admired in you is how self-aware you are. I think you're a very self-aware person in terms of understanding your strengths, your weaknesses, where you sit best, where you don't. How have you got to that point? Because self-awareness, you know, you don't wake up with it. It's not a natural characteristic or trait, is it? So what's it looked like for you to build that very clear understanding of, yep, this is me at my best and this is therefore how I need to be working? Can you think of times where you weren't so self-aware? So humans are the way that they are through my understanding of of psychology and through having been in therapy myself um, because of their scripts. So everyone, depending on how they were raised, uh, the develop- developmental period between naught and seven years old is like the most critical period of life for humans. And in that period is where you learn basically who you are. You learn um, 
how to treat people. You learn how to deal with situations. You learn your fears, your phobias, your joys, like all of the things that make you who you are are, are practically imprinted in you in, in that time period. I think self-awareness, people have to varying degrees for different reasons. Um, I think some people are completely oblivious to how they are and how they feel, whereas other people are highly, highly sensitive. And I'd put myself in that highly sensitive uh, category, if you like. So it can be a blessing and a curse because Mm. while sometimes it means that I can look at myself and go, okay, I understand my strengths and weaknesses and I understand how I can really add value or also where I'm destructive in situations. Uh, But equally, it means that I'm a massive overthinker. so there's so many kind of pros and cons to being self-aware and equally there are pros and cons to being unself-aware because it probably means you're going to have a more blissful life in some ways right we've talked about that before haven't we yeah people who i think it applies for a lot of things people who aren't that self-aware who aren't that connected to their mission who don't really maybe realize how unfulfilled they might be. I just think, well, that looks like quite an easy life. Yeah. Because yes, you're maybe not as fulfilled as you could be, but you're not aware of it. Whereas I feel like we are in constant pursuit of not just success, whatever that means for us, but also kind of Mm self-actualization. Like every single day trying to be a better version of yourself. It's kind of exhausting sometimes. It is exhausting. The thing that's really important for me here is that there's no right or wrong and there's no better or worse. And just as before, there's not a destination. No. It's not like here is Zav at optimum, we are reaching that. It's just constant improvement. I suppose not only in business, but also in, in kind of personal life, understanding that everybody's different is so key. Like, mm. so, so I, can't, I can't stress the importance of understanding that fundamental thing because how you react to situations is gonna be vastly different to how other people react. And this is all based on what their script is um, because Whatever you're, however you were raised, like I said, in that period, you're going to be repeating that same script for the rest of your life. You can make subtle changes. You can address certain things that you may not uh, enjoy about yourself and mm-hmm. also expedite the things that you do enjoy about yourself. But ultimately, people are the way that they are for life. Uh, it's really quite rare or impossible to fully change your personality uh, between uh, being born and, and dying. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to self-awareness, I'm a huge believer in it being something innate. So your capabilities of self-awareness, some people are just higher, some people are just lower. And it's the same with any other feeling or emotion. Some people are happier than others. Some people are um, angrier than others. Some people are more anxious than others. But when it actually comes to developing self-awareness, I think it is something that everyone can work on and address. Mm. I think the first step is really listening to yourself. If you're presented with something that makes you feel anything, listen to that emotion before reacting. Yeah. Because I think, again, that you have reactive people and unreactive people. You have people who uh, deal in emotion and people who deal in reflection. And these are all like concepts and and, um, kind of principles that are guided by psychology. But self-awareness, whilst it's going to be different for everyone is all about just understanding how you feel and realizing how you feel about certain situations. Um, Because if you're going through life, ignoring what your body is physically telling you, for me, it's a physical thing, how I feel emotion, right? Um, For some people, I I know that it's in their head. For some people, it's um, more cognitive uh, function. But for me, it's something that I feel. If I ignore what I feel and I react based on what my script has taught me to react, then I'm going to be in an endless cycle of uh, never getting anywhere. Mm. 
Whereas if I take the time to reflect, and everybody reflects, will reflect in different ways, but take the time to reflect, take the time to really listen to how you feel about a certain situation, and also take the time to challenge yourself and go, why did I feel that way? Mm. Is that how I want to feel? Or is that how my script has basically led me to feel? And a good exercise for this is actually looking at people you admire and listing characteristics of those people and then listing characteristics about yourself and seeing if they align. If they don't align, then you have work to do because it means that the things you've seen other people, you can only see if you are yourself. But equally, how you view yourself is only a reflection of how you view yourself. It's not the truth. Mm. So you could ex- you could list 10 things about Zav. And I'm sure that they're going to be vastly different to the 10 things I list about myself. Yours is more true than mine. Yeah. How I view myself is only true for me. Um, but having that self-awareness means that you can go, okay, this thing that Zav said and this thing that Alice said was different. How do I reach a place where... Uh, I feel about myself uh, to match what Alice has said and what people around me say. And so much of it is asking questions of yourself, isn't it? And almost holding space to explore. So I think therapy is so good for is that it's literally time where there's nothing else to do other than to explore yourself more. Definitely. And to think about, yeah, like you said, why did I do a certain thing or why do I feel a certain way? And trusting that there is going to be an answer I see it a lot when doing work with clients around like you know naming their values or naming their purpose you know we're not coming up with something you're actually just finding the answer within yourself not in like a woo you know the universe isn't going to deliver it to you kind of way but in a no the information's already there you've just got to listen to what the information is or the what your actions are telling you about that information so another really important thing to, to add to that is appreciating that working on yourself is not hippie dippy spiritual bullshit um you don't have to have anything wrong with you to seek therapy Mm. i wouldn't say that i have anything inherently wrong with me um i see it as the gym for my brain if i'm able to go to therapy and add perspective and i think perspective is another key to business and it's another key to kind of life personal life yeah if you can add more perspective that makes you realize that sometimes the way that you're viewing things is not the only way, ultimately it will enable you to find better solutions to problems, to overcome challenges that were insurmountable before, but also to be a more balanced human. I think perspective is the key that unlocks all of that and it all begins with accepting that those two fit things. One, for the majority of people, there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, some people do suffer from mental illness, but everyone has mental health. Mm. Uh, so make sure to address that. And two, uh, I would say to anyone that has a gym membership, you're a hypocrite if you don't have a therapist. <laughs> because the two are equally important, right? And, you know, we care about our businesses and we care about growth and success and impact. But the centre of all of those things is us Mm. and our mental and our physical health. And if those two things aren't good, if they're not where they need to be, well, then nothing else is going to be. If I was to ask you the question, Hmm. imagine you are 70 years old. Would you rather have a good body or a good mind? What would you say to me? A good mind. So that in itself 
means that because there is a stigma around therapy there's a stigma around mental health still mm. it's being far more talked about these days and that's a brilliant thing but most people would choose mind and so why aren't you working on it i'm not saying you yeah why why do people not work on it yeah um because it's it, it's the thing that allows you to to th- be you right mm-hmm. you are your mind is you and you are your mind yeah so why wouldn't you make that the best version of itself possible because mm-hmm. your body by 35 40 is pointless like you can be right, Arnold shout Sch- out to the 35 40 <laughs> listening your body is pointless heard it here first no but it's you could be Arnold Schwarzenegger but at some point yeah. it starts declining naturally yeah. it's also just vastly irrelevant you know you're what I'd say is health is important health that's is a important. massive thing this year's taught me is I've never really thought I've always thought about the way I look after my body for how it looks mm-hmm. not for how it feels yeah. and this year's especially really taught me actually it's about being healthy so you can then show up for the things that are important to you definitely but no you're so right and that is an interesting question to ask isn't it like when you are older not just a, around that question like how will you measure success mm-hmm. as a 70 year old what will you feel proud of and then how can we act according yeah. to that and that's the thing. Most people would say that by the time they're 70, 80, the two things they'd want to be able to do is have a, a body that's able to walk and function. Um, so to not grossly neglect your body to a point where you can't do either of those things mm. and equally to be able to, to be of sound mind. Mm. And I think ultimately, like you say, looking after your body from a health perspective, critical, looking after your mind view it as the same thing it's from a health perspective Mm. um and it allows you to unlock doors that for me frankly if if i hadn't undertaken the journey with mental health i can guarantee the mixtons would not be where it is Mm. um and i know that it's the same for the boys because they're developing at the same time so for all of us it's kind of key it's at the forefront of everything we do it's at the forefront of of how we communicate with our employees for us it's mental health over everything then enjoyment, then uh, profit. And it's seeing how they all work together, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think business can very easily damage your physical and mental health. But actually, if you put your physical and mental health first, Mm -hmm. your business is going to be successful as a result. Totally. Whereas if you put your business first, your mental and physical health are going to be damaged. And if those two things are damaged, then at some point the business will fail as well. Yeah. So it's seeing it in the same way that money is a tool. Those things are tools like I quite happy saying I don't care about my health because I care about health Mm. I'm not one of those people who's naturally like I really care about what I put because I just don't care that much the only way I care about it is because I know that when I'm healthier the business is better right and I care about the business exactly and and that's what I I one thing I fucking hate Alice is hustle culture Mm. right this whole mentality that you have to be working 18 hours a day seven days a week in order to get anywhere in life such bullshit if you and you and I are quite similar in this way because we've spoken about it before um so for context whenever we have a really busy period we need time to ourselves right we're natural introverts and for us that's what works Mm -hmm. for other people they'll be natural extroverts and they'll enjoy the hustle and bustle and busyness of life but taking time to regenerate recuperate do things that you enjoy as you say is going to mean that any time you do spend on your business is going to be far more productive because mm-hmm. you're going to be of clearer mind your body will hopefully be feeling good your mind will be feeling good and i'm a real big believer i think it was google that first implemented this uh in the kind of architecture of uh, structuring your working day 
not to maximize time input, but to maximize productivity in your way. Yeah. For some people, myself included, I can do better work in two hours than I can if I was to work 14 hours. Mm. And understanding that and not feeling guilty about the fact that I'm not hustling every single fucking day mm. um, and uh, ac- accepting the way that I work is for me paramount. Um, yeah. I think more people would benefit from having that perspective that you don't have to put all of your time in because ultimately it's not the best thing for your business. Mm, it's output over input, isn't it? Always. I'd way rather be productive than busy. Yeah. But my tendency is to want to be busy because yeah. that feels like success, but you're right. And then it's balancing that, which is a whole nother conversation with it's valuing your output, but also knowing there's seasons where the input is going to look really intense but it's giving it a purpose isn't it it's knowing like I will label in my business this is a busy season and Mm -hmm. I don't even use the word busy because it makes it feel like it's happening to me I just say it's full on for this season and I can do it for a sprint but yeah there comes a point where then if that was forever it's too much and that's the thing you have to be willing to get in the trenches like the trenches are inevitable Mm. but it's not about being in the trenches all the time. Yeah. I think that's that's the kind of premise of what I'm advocating is making mm. sure that when you're out of the trenches, take some time, like relax. Don't don't try and jump it back in as soon as you can because it's completely pointless. Um, but also you have to accept the fact that the trenches are inevitable uh, and you have to figure out a way to deal with that. Mm. I think that's a perfect place to end. Great. There's so many other things we could talk about. I want to talk about having two co-founders. We didn't even talk about how your dyslexia interacts with the business, but another conversation for another day. Yeah. I have to have you back on with... Um, with the boys. Ranch. Yeah, we can do a three. Do some mixed and cocktails beforehand. Sounds great. It's going to be chaos. It would be carnage. Four. I've done a three person and that was chaos. So I think four would be a whole other level. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been fun. There's no other answer than yesterday. I got a really great juice out of it as well, so I'm I'm happy. <laughs> Tastes absolute <laughs> trash. Come on, Alice's podcast, and you'll get given. Yeah, don't do carrot it. Carrot juice. Not, you could have had the, the broccoli drink. one. Yeah, no, I'm glad. Well, that's the thing. If this is carrot and mango, I'd hate to know what the broccoli and spinach one was. Yeah, if I was that person selling those, I would actually feel guilty handing them out. So there we have it. That is my conversation with Zav about the highs, the lows, the lessons, and a lot of other things in between. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. As the title of this podcast suggests, this is only the start of the conversation. So I'd love for you to continue it over on Instagram or on LinkedIn. You can find me just by searching Alice Benham. I will leave links in the show notes to not only Zav, but also to Mixton, so you can go and stay connected to their journey and also check out some of their amazing cocktails. As I said in the intro, the porn star martini is a particular favorite of mine but try them all see which one you like best it's such a nice experience to have at home to have lovely tasty cocktails that in the words of mixtons don't taste shit so that you don't miss out on future episodes make sure to subscribe or follow along wherever you're listening to this podcast always means the world to know that you're tuning in so if you want to share on your socials that you're listening and as i said let me know what you think i really love that and i'm always interested to hear your thoughts so let me know see you next week i never know how to end these outros so peace out have a good one and chat to you next tuesday unless you're not listening to this on the day it comes out in which case chat to you whatever day you next listen to this podcast 
Hey, it's Alice. Before you go and action what you've learned in today's episode, I want to share a quick note about this week's partner. One of the biggest mistakes I see people making when it comes to marketing is not analyzing the statistics. The numbers, whether it be podcast downloads, website traffic, or likes on a post, are all telling you something about what is and isn't working in your strategy. It's invaluable data, but so often we don't listen to it. And I get it. I can easily forget to or feel too overwhelmed to look at my numbers, which is why I've made a monthly habit of sitting down to review my content. It's already made me better at showing up for my goals and I found a great tool for it which makes this an easy task, Metricool. By bringing all your platforms into one place, Metricool makes it easy to analyze, manage and improve your content. My favorite is their analytics tool because you don't have to go searching for the numbers, they're all in front of you to look at and most importantly, learn from. They also have a content planner, inbox manager and hashtag tracker so Metricool really can be your one-stop shop for all your marketing needs. I only partner with brands who I genuinely believe can bring value to our lives as business owners and this one is no different so to start managing your marketing with intention head to the link in the show notes and start using metrical for free today 